You're listening to Season 5, Episode Number 3 of Strike the Match. In this episode, Dr. David Parks is my guest. He is the director of the Global Center at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. Our topic of conversation, the pornification of societies and its effect on the mission of the church. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Several years ago, when I was finishing uh, my book, Pressure Points, uh, 12 Global Issues Shaping the Face of the Church, I was about to send the draft uh, to my uh, editor, and I just really sensed that there was uh, an issue that I had not addressed in this book, and it needed to be addressed, and that is the the topic of uh, the pornification of societies. Uh, this is a topic that uh, in the uh, season, the, now this is, we're in our fifth season with Strike the Match. I don't think that we have spoken about this particular topic uh, on Strike the Match, and uh, it's long past due. And so today, uh, my guest uh, on Strike the Match is uh, Dr. David Parks. He is the uh, director of the Global Center at Beeson Divinity School, and uh, he also teaches uh, missions uh, at Beeson. He is a world traveler, served many years uh, in Asia. He'll share a little bit more about himself in just a second. But uh, we're going to begin talking about this conversation and uh, at the same time, um, we're going to be praying for you as you listen to this, because uh, I'm always praying for my listeners, but spe- specifically on this topic, because uh, this is not just an issue that affects people that we're ministering to and serving, but oftentimes it even affects uh, leaders as well. So, David, thank you so much for giving your time, and thank you for, for being with us today. Welcome to Strike the Match. Thanks. Great to be with you. Man, I uh, I tell you, we're we're doing this podcast on two sides of Sanford University's campus right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, pretty much the two towers. You got the um, the Reed Chapel over there and Hodges Chapel. <laughs> I'm on one side and you're on the other. It's funny we're on the same campus and yet we're we're skyping with one another. So hey, there you go. You, you you make it work, right? Yeah, of course. Man, well, I, I've known you for many years, uh, but I know some of the listeners out there are probably wondering a little bit about your background, and they heard me mention that you, you'd served in Asia before. Can you tell us a little bit about, about yourself and um, anything that I may have left out from the introduction? Sure. I'm actually from Birmingham, Alabama. I went to Sanford for my undergrad degree and Beeson Divinity School for my master's. Uh, we first connected when I was at Southern I'm finishing up my PhD the first time and only time. That's I met right. You. It was the only time that we had any interaction. That was my uh, oral defense. Yeah. And um, after that, I took off to Southeast Asia and I was there doing student ministry. And I was also uh, training youth ministers in a seminary there as well. How many years did you um, did you serve there? <laughs> I was gone a total of six years. We spent uh, six months in Indonesia doing some uh, language study, and then we went to the you know, nearby country uh, for our ministry. And we so we actually had, had intended to stay there longer. Long story short, the uh, door to return kind of closed, and the door to um, to be here at Beeson Divinity School open. And yeah, I was um, thrilled. I was not planning on being there just that long, but um, I am 
I'm thrilled to be here. It was wild to one day be on the other side of the planet, and then uh, the next day I'm back home. Hmm. Wow. Well, I know I have over the past uh, several years since I've lived here in, in Birmingham for seven, uh, just been watching your leadership there with uh, with the Global Center at Beeson, and it's just a just a blessing to see what you've been doing and uh, what the Lord is is continuing to to do uh, do through you and your ministry. Um, so keep up the great work, brother. Thanks. Appreciate it. And it's also been just great to have you on the campus. Um, for listeners, just so you know, we'd already connected. Once he got here in Birmingham, I certainly wanted to to have him come teach some. But then now that we've got him here full time, it's just been great, not just to uh, to have you as a teacher, but to have you as a friend and to have someone to so just drop in every once in a while, get some, steal some coffee from us in the. Gold That's Street. right. You ha- you have the best coffee on our campus. We do. <laughs> um, one of the things that I also want to mention about David before we jump into this, um, and I mentioned, I, I put this, I think, in a blog post uh, some time ago, David, and that is uh, that um, you have a heart for training leaders, but but also using uh, sort of fictional uh, narrative to do that. And um, you've been working on a on a work uh, of fiction. Yeah, didn't plan on talking about that, but um, I wasn't. But man, I'm telling you, I'm going to give you a plug as much as I can because I think it's. A, I, I appreciate that because right now I'm I'm just kind of stuck with it. I I really just need to get up my rear end and um, get it out there and uh, do some work to um, get some publishers interested. But it actually started not because I had this idea that that I wanted to um, to use fiction to communicate something mythologically, but it's because my oldest daughter is a novelist and she's an amazing writer. I'm not uh, nearly as good of a writer as she is, but um, it it may may shock you to know that there's not a ton of high school girls out there writing novels. And so (laughs) she didn't really have a whole lot of fellowship with it. And and I thought, you know, what would I write? Because I I do have uh, the creative storyteller side of me. But um, then I just started thinking, well, you know, let's think about my my background. So basically what I wound up writing is about a um, a guy, an Iranian in Malaysia who ultimately has a dream that leads him toward knowledge of Christ. That's a real short sum of it. But it has some backstory that um, includes his history in Iran, even includes the history of the revolution. And and then a lot of basically running from danger, which is what I like in movies. My my wife doesn't like it. She can't stand Jurassic Park. But this is this is a lot of running from stuff. (laughs) Well, I tell you, I think I know you've heard me say this before. I think you and just a handful of people uh, are are entering into an area of literary work in missiological writings that the church really needs. And, and so, man, you know, you're a pioneer in that. And so it's I know it's a bumpy road anytime you're a pioneer, but man, keep it up and hopefully we'll uh, get you back on here to talk more about, uh, about that later on. Thanks. I love it. So today uh, our topic is uh, obviously a a very weighty one, a one uh, or a topic that uh, is one that, uh, many uh, within the church um, want to shy away from. They don't want to to talk about it and address it. And that, you know that's this issue of 
of the you know, sexual immorality, the pornification of societies and things of that nature. So l- let me toss out this question to you, David, because I know you've done research on this and you presented a, a paper at uh, one of the Evangelical Missiological Society meetings. Um, why, why is this topic uh, of the pornification of societies uh, a missiological matter? Well, first of all, I wanted to say before I forget just how um, I, I felt like it was this cathartic experience when I read your book and to see that you put a chapter out there about this because I had just seen it so often in Southeast Asia. It was great to see someone finally um, dealing with this, someone who was going to be read. And so it was um, it was really helpful for me. But uh, why is it a mythological matter? Well, it's one of the biggest businesses in the world. So that explains why it's so pervasive and um, it's also incredibly easily accessed. Um, and people you know, can feel like no one will ever know. It's also an addiction. Uh, stop it typically doesn't work too well. Um, but ultimately, why is it a missiological matter? Well, like any complicated sin, missionaries will need to employ their cross-cultural ministry skills in order to be most effective. If you are doing any kind of cross-cultural leadership, you're usually not going to deal with uh, sins or um, complicated contextualism matters in in the exact same way you do that in America. You'll you will have to be using your missiological filter before you even take the first step. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I think about about this issue, um, it's 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 it is that it's that crossing that that cultural gap to deal with 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 such a weighty issue, but. But but even you know even within the heart of uh, those that are going, those that are being sent, I mean th- they wrestle with um, with that temptation as well. I mean I remember I remember the first time I heard uh, a mission agency president talk about the uh, the candidate process, and 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 he said you know things have shifted, our, our society has shifted. He said. Um, we basically interview candidates with the expectation that they have uh, recently been consumers of pornography. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Uh, I think it was probably 10 years ago I first heard that they were asking the question, you know, when was the last time? Not if, but when was the last time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, assuming. And I, I was just shocked. Um, I shouldn't have been, but still there was something jarring about hearing, oh, wow, that really is where we are. So you know, you know, when I talk about this from time to time, I, I find people within the church saying, you know, thank you for for bringing this up, um, and the reason they say say that is because they usually follow with um, the the church isn't saying enough about this issue. I mean, what are you sensing? Are you sensing that to be the case? Well, yeah, I think so. You know, some churches are obviously doing better than others, but um, for the most part, if if we're talking about right now in the West. That um, no, I, I don't think it's being brought up enough, and some of it is because I think people don't really know how to deal with it. I really do think that there are lessons that that I've learned just by listening to Trailer Lovern with Undone Redone and his ministries that uh, that helped me know how to to begin to engage. Um, I think a lot of people have basically used the stop it approach, just repent. And seeing that it, it's not incredibly um, effective for everyone, 
and have wondered, well, what do I do now? Well, you, I mean, in mentioning, you mentioned his name. I mean, you, you just recently uh, had a conversation with him uh, at Beeson Divinity School at the beginning of this semester. Yeah, it was just last week. Uh, we basically dealt with the um, one of the questions that we're going to be addressing today. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves at the moment, but uh, but but it was great to have. So, we'll, we'll, and that, and that'll be available on on the web um, later on. That the video of that is that correct? Yes, we will have it available uh, within the next week or so. Let's talk about the issue of. Um, of the, the, just the global reach, the global size, because I know we in the West are oftentimes quick to think, well, you know, this is a, this is a, you know, a Western thing, or, or maybe even more specifically, this is a U.S. thing. Uh, I, again, you know, I don't know how accurate the the, the percentage is, but uh, I heard one time that almost like ninety percent of pornography that was going across the world was actually coming out of Southern California. Whether that's true or not, I, I don't know. But but tell me what, based on your research, what are, what are you seeing as far as the the global size, the global reach of this you know this culture uh, that exists? Well, one of the things that I like to to do to be, begin with is just to to tell a quick story to illustrate just how pervasive this is globally. Uh, consider the fact that the story that I'm about to share is essentially come from a culture that has more shame, honor. Um, you know, orientedness, I guess you would say, um, than America is Indonesia. And so you would think that an issue like this, it would be really hard for them to talk about. And in general, I think that's true. But one of my students was uh, from uh, Jakarta, Indonesia, and he would come to our, to our classes, uh, you know, two weeks at a time. We had a class called Discipleship and Youth Ministry, and and there were some. And, of the, and this was a class that you were teaching in Asia. I was teaching in Asia, and I was teaching people who were already student ministers. So he worked with um, youth in college, and he writes me back a couple months after the class, and thank you for these things that that you've taught us. Um, because of that, I've found the strength to get off of pornography, and then he proceeds to tell me that he shared this with his church members, um, with his youth leaders and his youth, you know, the good news of how he's been released from his pornography addiction. Now, I'm thinking, that's great that you've found this, um, this victory, but surely this has become a major scandal by the time he's written and, and you know, in real time. And so I immediately contacted him thinking that I'm just going to be walking him through the fallout of being fired from his church. I was shocked to learn that the only people who were really surprised were those who were saying, oh, wow, you found the strength to get off of that? How? It really was in his area and in his church just that bad. And so that was a real wake-up call to me that th- this is something that we need to be addressing not just in the missionary candidates, but in the you know, the ministries to the people that we're going to reach, the national leaders, the missionaries who are kind of struggling to, to understand how do we even begin that. But then you look at them, some t- statistics. Um, Pornhub is one of the major online pornography distributors. They will release annually their um, their statistics. They're very proud of their statistics. So they'll these stats will be passed around. Just so you know, I didn't actually go to their website to, to find these. Um, this is uh, available 
and passed around to all. Um, so here's a few of the stats from 2018. And this this one I'm starting with is more of a general um, statement, not necessarily international, but uh, both American and international. It says this, if you began watching all of the videos uploaded in 2018, just after the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903, you would still be watching them today. The top four countries measured by overall traffic are the U.S., the U.K., India, and Japan, respectively. The top two countries measured by time spent per visit are the Philippines and South Africa. The most viewed category in Asia, from Southeast Asia into China and across Mongolia into Russia, is hentai, a pornographic spinoff of anime and manga. In other words, is contextualized porn for Asia. Those are just a few of the stats that make you realize this is an enormous issue and addiction has gone global, truly. And, you know, one uh, one story that I saw uh, years ago that the BBC did uh, that sort of opened my eyes uh, to, to this, uh, this scope was, um, was how there were there were reports coming out of, of of a very remote village in a country in Africa, of uh, of young boys and men who were accessing um, the uh, accessing videos and were um, using that as their um, training for sexual education, and it was resulting in rape. It was re- resulting in um, uh, increase in um, STDs. And so this reporter did this story, and uh, it was incredibly remote. They didn't even have electricity, but they would get to the black market in one of the major cities, and then they had a particular hut whereby they would watch things on, uh, you know, you know, that were on a television that was being run by a generator. And so, you know, this is an issue that is was well beyond the United States, as you mentioned. It's you know, it's throughout the world it's it's in all parts of the world and it um, it's affecting obviously unbelievers as well as as believers um, but what about what about this question David how are um, leaders of churches like in majority world contexts so outside of the West how, how are they doing when it comes to addressing you know this problem you know are there some unique obstacles you know that they're they're struggling with what what, what are you finding what are you seeing well I'm confident there are exceptions, but I, I really don't know that many that are dealing with it directly. Um, consider this. I was just in Tanzania over the summer, and one of my colleagues from Stanford University, Dr. Rachel Hayes, she's spending her time teaching women um, not just feminine hygiene, but um, young girls. And when I say young girls, not just 12-year-old or 10-years-old, but late teenagers, early 20s. She's teaching them where babies come from. And so when you have cultures that are still reticent to talk about anything about sex, then of course they're not um, tackling this issue. So you throw in shame honor cultures where um, shame is not so much an emotion, but it's a demotion. And you everything is about earning honor in the your community. And the worst thing for you is to be disconnected. Um, so there's a fear that plays into that that makes it more difficult um, to talk about these things. But I would also throw this in, and I could be wrong, 
But um, now the, the question was leaders of churches in majority will context. I'm going to throw in missionaries as well. Um, what would make them a little reticent to tackle the issue? I think that often we get caught up in our um, strategies of multiplication, and we forget that you, making disciples is not just um, quick multiplication. It, these are people who are dealing with very real issues. Um, I was, uh, you know, part of some things that were going on in groups. I had a, a leader one time um, tell me, th this was when I was in Southeast Asia, I would occasionally bring up this issue. I did not make it my hobby horse. I didn't make it something that um, I was always harping on. But there were a couple of times publicly as these groups were together that I would bring it up because I knew they were struggling. And I had a leader tell me, look, David, the pornography thing, that's not us. We're here to make disciples. And what he meant is that we're trying to um, share the gospel, have people accept Christ, and then uh, teach them the basics in order to multiply and, and reach others. And, and of course, I'm sympathetic to that. But when you can't slow down to deal with the very real issues that they are um, struggling with, then you're going too fast at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. I mean, Jesus you know, talked about making disciples, and, and then that not only includes conversion, but it means means teaching them to obey all that he commanded. You know, how are they then to walk? And so I, I can see that. I could easily see how we would get so caught up in our strategy, and uh, particularly those of us in the West that, you know, tend in the more uh, pragmatic direction that we want to see those numbers that, that yes, we could— we could easily over overlook that issue. You, you've mentioned a couple times uh, the concept of, of honor and shame, um, and and I think that that's that's really important, you know, in this. And um, it, it, one of the things that you know I know that we communicated about um, before this via email is sort of talking about how you would address. Um, the pornography issue maybe in like a sub-Saharan context differently than maybe in the U.S. I mean, can you can you give us some some insights into that? <clears throat> yeah, I, um, since you've already brought up the honor shame issue, I want to go ahead and let you know off the bat that I've decided that one of the keys that uh, missiology has to to be able to help us address the issue is the three-dimensional gospel that um, Jason George has made. Uh, popular, is to, to see the gospel holistically. I, I began looking at these different ways of sharing the gospel, the honor-shame cultures, animistic cultures, which he lists as fear power. There's been plenty written in missiology for, for many years about how to, to deal with um, animistic cultures, and it's become more and more common to talk about sharing the gospel, the shame-honor cultures. And so I thought, well, well, let's look at these lenses and see um, if it has something to teach us with how we can deal with the pornography issue. And so sub-Saharan churches are typically um, made up of people who have come out of animistic backgrounds. And so uh, many of them have um, come to Christ uh, very genuinely, um, very much where they were dealing with uh, struggles over spiritual powers. They needed um, some 
some kind of power to defeat the works of the devil that they clearly saw around them. There are others who are really looking for, as a Nigerian friend of mine said, a superpower that is more powerful than their ancestral power. And so their temptation would be to to seek power for the sake of power, kind of um, like Simon the Magician. All right. So if you're considering this from, from this lens, then I'll quickly contrast their a fault, their potential fault, with our potential fault. And it's ultimately um, a quick fix. So the West typically uh, approaches the issue of pornography from a guilt-innocent standpoint. Our our churches are heavily guilt-innocence oriented in how we understand the gospel. You know, we, we emphasize God's holiness, we emphasize the law, his forgiveness, um, our need to repent. And all of these things are are true. But when you um, do not talk about the shame honor elements or the fear power elements, then ultimately what you get is kind of, um, okay, stop it. And it's up to you to do it. When you really understand the gospel through a shame honor lens, how Jesus is there with you. He's, he's honoring you with his presence. He's not at a distance waiting um, for you to, um, to clean yourself up but he's there with you in your struggles, then that's different. What, the way we typically address it is, okay, repent. Here's three steps. Here, behavioralism, um, we're going to take uh, three, four steps, and this is how you fix it. And it feels like we're more in control. Okay, shift to sub-Saharan Africa. Um, the way they would want to handle it is this is obviously a demonic attack, and we need to cast out the demon. Notice how both of them are imbalanced and quick fixes. So if you're out there and you don't really know what I'm talking about when, I'm, when I say the three dimensions of the gospel, I, I want to try to sum up um, briefly. I already mentioned the guilt-innocence model. This is how we in the West have typically understood the gospel. Um, the shame-honor gospel would, would start with God is an an honored king. He is the essence of all true honor. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they you know, threw shame on the father, the father who, who wanted to provide for them. And instead, they sought their own honor, their own status. And so, um, so they were rejected from the kingdom because God had to protect his dignity. And now, the fall has made us reach out for other types of honor, other types of status. And this is true for us in the West, too. All of these these three dimensions are true. We just need to be balanced with them. And so Jesus, in the shame-honor perspective, um, comes and restores our dignity by his very presence, uh, by um, taking the, the penalty for our shame. He suffered shame on the cross, and we now have um, the incredible honor of being sons and daughters of the kingdom. The fear power gospel begins with God as a sovereign, all-powerful Lord, and he uh, made us vice regents. I mean, he gave us the power to to um, rule over creation with him, but instead we reached out for our own power because we believed the lies of the enemy, and Satan has um, ever since then been lying to us and tempting us. This is how Russell Moore puts it. He's, Satan is always tempting us with the sin that rejects Christ 
and then giving us the rescue plans that bypass Christ. And so fear has entered the world, and we're always reaching out for different forms of power. And instead of submitting to God's power through the Holy Spirit, you know, the fall has made us um, you know, reach into all kinds of things for power. And for us in the West, this is true. Um, in sub-Saharan Africa, it's more visibly true because they are um, more overt about seeking spiritual power over the demonic. It, it, life, life is about trying to get power over the things around you. Yeah, it definitely gives us um, a new way that we need to think about uh, training in the West when it comes to going into other parts of the world, because, uh, yeah, we we have left out the whole shame and honor piece, and when you're talking about issues related to sin in general, but sexual sin in particular that are, um, that, um, you know, cause a great deal of shame, I mean, that that's you know, that is something that we need to really begin to involve more in our training. David, if people want to find you on uh, social media out there online, what, where could they, uh, where could they track you down? I guess Twitter would be a good way. Um, David underscore parks for, uh, that would be the best way to keep up with me. I, um, th- that would be where I would put some things that you may be interested in, or maybe you're not, but I would love to have you follow me. (laughs) (laughs) David underscore Parks, the number four. Yes, the number four. My guest today on Strike the Match is uh, Dr. David Parks, who is the director of the Global Center at Beeson Divinity School in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, David is a a longtime friend and companion that exists on the other side of Sanford's campus from from my office, but that's okay. I don't mind the exercise walking over to see you. Dave, thanks so much for uh, being with us today on Strike the Match. All right. It's been great. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.